Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them. I'm Melissa Biggs Bradley, and I've just released a book called Safari Style, Exceptional African Camps and Lodges. Before diving into this book, I'd like to thank my new sponsor, Bloomist. Bloomist creates and curates simple, sustainable products that inspire you to design a calm, natural refuge at home. I'm excited to announce they've just introduced a new tabletop and kitchen collection that's truly stunning. So surround yourself with beautiful elements of nature when you're cooking, dining, and entertaining, and make nature home. Visit bloomist.com and use the code DECORATING20 to get 20% off your first purchase or click the link in the show notes. Now on with the show. Safari Style takes us to 21 properties in seven different countries to capture destinations with three key features in mind, environmental conservation, local connections, and architectural masterpiece. Can you just talk a little bit about that? I have been lucky. I went on my first safari when I was 12. So I've been to Africa dozens and dozens of times because of my career as both a travel journalist and the founder of a travel company. And over the course of 40 years that I've been going to Africa, I had noticed a real evolution in the kinds of safari experiences that you could have. And at my company, Indigari, we advise people on how to make the most of their travels. And safari is often one of those. So I looked for many years at matchmaking people with the right lodge and the right destination and the right kind of experience if they were going for their honeymoon or with their family. And I was speaking with uh, one of the people who runs Vondo. Uh, the publisher of the book a number of years ago, and just talking about how the safari experience has gotten so interesting over the years in terms of its diversity, and yet really is probably the best example of the positive power of tourism that I've seen anywhere in terms of really making sure that the traveler's impact on the destination impacts the environment and the community in a positive way. And so that led us to having a conversation about could I pick examples of the lodges that best exemplify or celebrate that. And so that's really where those three pillars came from. So safari is the Swahili word for trip. And as you just mentioned, you went on your first expedition at 12. This book was born out of your long love affair with safari. So I went with my grandmother. My grandmother had gone on safari with my grandfather in the 60s uh, when Kenya had first opened up to photographic safaris. And they just fell in love with being in the wilderness and spending their days watching animals. And after my grandfather died, my grandmother's wish was to, you know, wait until all of her grandchildren, um, there were more than a dozen of us, uh, were old enough to go on safari with her. And so when I was 12, she took the whole extended family, her three sons and all of their children to Kenya for a month. And we went all over the country. And I was lucky to be her roommate for 
a lot of that trip. And it just, it made me fall in love with being outdoors and being amongst the animals and the kind of bonding experience that one has in the bush, but also sort of the sense of discovery when you are really plugged back into nature and you're getting up at the sunrise to go and see animals and you're walking with Maasai warriors who really know how to read the landscape in a way that, you know, we have really lost touch with. And we, you know, in many ways, civilization has moved us to such a degree away from the, the natural world that we've lost the language of the planet. But when you go on safari, you spend time with people who haven't lost that language and who can really read the, the natural world in a way that is just fascinating. So I fell in love with it. And in the book, you talk about how your grandmother was at ease on safari in a way that she was never at ease in New York City. Yes, yes. You know, part of being civilized in some ways is following the rules and the etiquette of the worlds that we live in. And a lot of that to me is about restraint. And when you go on safari and you go back in the bush and you are removed from civilization, from technology, from so many of the trappings of the civilized world, I think you actually can be purer in your, not just in your perspective on things, but also in your joy um, and your emotions. And so I, I, that's what I witnessed for sure with her is that, you know, there was a, a much easier joy and authenticity and happiness that happened when she was on safari. I'm interested in learning just a little bit about the evolution of safari tourism in the past 30 years. Okay. So I would say that, and there's a lot that's changed from, you know, if we go to those pillars, um, you know, the first one being architecturally, the safari used to be quite simple camps. Um, you slept under canvas, you had bucket showers, and, you know, you were in, in the middle of nowhere. Those were great comforts. But um, over the last 30 years, through technology and, and even sustainable ways of generating electricity and purifying water, the comforts now available are much, much sort of more refined than they were, um, and as is the design. So now there are, you know, really stunningly beautiful sort of houses and lodges and villas that leave no permanent footprint on remote areas, but deliver an, a lot of comfort. So that's one way that they've changed. And, you know, an, another really important factor is that they've become much more community-based. So initially, you know, in, in Kenya, when safari started, it was a lot of colonial expats who were taking people on photographic safaris and not necessarily necessarily interacting closely with the resident communities. Now, all of the lodges in my book, the majority of them are owned by the communities or are in partnership with the local communities. Most of the staff at the lodges now are locals. And that really has brought a, a much more authentic and an indigenous aesthetic and culture to each of these lodges. So there's, that's when I talked about the diversity, you know, how people in Rwanda cook, how they dance, how they, you know, express themselves with art, you know, is very different than what you'll find in Namibia or Zimbabwe. And those are now really expressed in the lodges um, in a way that they weren't 30 years ago. And then I would say this, the other really important point is that the lodges 20, 30 years ago were extractive. Um, you know, they basically took from the local community and didn't really give back. And now um, the safari industry throughout Africa is truly um, an additive industry. It is 
empowering local communities, the money's going back into conservation. And most of the great strides that have been made in conservation around Southern Africa and and Eastern Africa have been either in partnership with government or in many cases through the safari industry, where they are, you know, really taking the lead in saving wildlife, both in terms of species and in terms of their ecosystems. And, And that's something that is is radically different. And as I said, I think the safari industry is is leading the way and by example for what I hope many other in the tourism industries will follow in terms of how to really be additive. You included iconic properties such as Mambo Camp in Botswana, but you also included newer ones like Wilderness Safari's Basate Lodge in Rwanda, which has some really interesting features. Can you talk about that? Yes, I love all of the lodges in the book and I'm very passionate about, you know, each of the destinations, but there is a space in my heart that Rwanda holds because it is a country that really is probably the very best example of how you can have, you know, a, a safari industry or a tourism industry elevate people because Rwanda came out of a horrific genocide in the early 90s and the country was absolutely devastated. You know, one in 10 people had been killed in this horrible genocide. And the current president used tourism as one of the ways to lift the country up. And Rwanda is now the great beacon of hope in many ways for the African continent in the sense that it is the cleanest, safest country in all of Africa. It has one of the highest literacy rates, one of the highest numbers of women in parliament anywhere in the world. Um, It's got one of the fastest growing GDPs on the continent. So it's really an incredible success story. And similarly, they have done that with their conservation because the endangered mountain gorillas were, I think, numbered under a thousand in the year 2000. And through harnessing tourism to protect the gorillas, they have been able to increase their numbers. And so it's an endangered species that's actually increasing its numbers as opposed to um, decreasing. And part of that story to me is Basate. It's the lodges around Volcanoes National Park that have brought people to see the mountain gorillas, but in a very thoughtful way. So it's not an inexpensive experience to to go see them. It's $1,500 a day to get a gorilla permit. But because those prices are what they are, the the money can go into buying back um, habitat so that there's more habitat for the gorillas to live in, employing rangers to protect them because there is still a, a risk of poaching. And it's just been an incredibly successful program. And Basate has done many things as part of that conservation. There's a program at that lodge to replant because one of the issues around that area is deforestation. So every guest can actually go out and plant trees, or even if they don't go out, some of the money from their stay goes towards planting new trees in that area. But they've also just incorporated the increased incredible um, local crafts into the design. The rooms look almost like weaver's nests. They're, they're thatched looking kind of bird nest things stuck into the side of this mountainous volcano, but it's actually all made out of um, recycled plastic. So the lodge is, you know, eco-sensitive, design dramatic, and at its heart, it's really doing an enormous amount for both the local community 
and the the um, endangered mountain gorillas. I'd also love to hear about Finda Homestead in South Africa and how they raised the bar on what wildlife viewing accommodations could be. So again, all these places are super special to me. The Panda property, which is a large concession in South Africa, uh, was where I spent my honeymoon um, over 25 years ago. And it was one of the first camps in South Africa to kind of raise the bar on safari tourism. They built these little glass boxes in the woods that were just incredibly gorgeous. And one of the founders, I was talking to her about this for the book, and she said, you know, they were coming out of apartheid back then and nobody had visited South Africa. Nobody knew why one would go to South Africa. And so they very strategically said, we are going to build these knockout accommodations that the travel magazines all over the world will want to put on their pages. And we will put South Africa on the map for safari. And they did that. They have continued to up the game. And Pinda Homestead is many years later, a different kind of incarnation where they've created basically the ultimate private villa in the bush for people to have a house with, you know, multiple bedrooms, gorgeous areas for outdoor barbecues and eating outside. And it comes staffed with, you know, not only a personal chef um, and housekeeping and everything else, but your own um, team of wildlife experts who take you out on game drives. So everything about it is completely private. Do you go back there often with your husband? I I know we've actually not been back together um, to Pinda. We have been back. We were in South Africa with our children right before COVID caused the whole world to lock down, you know, and and that to me, again, is, is an important point about why the timing of this book is particularly important, because I mentioned that the lodges are truly great examples of the positive power of tourism. Unfortunately, I have been back to Africa multiple times now since March of 2020, when the world locked down. Uh, Rwanda and Kenya were some of the first countries to reopen their borders, and I was there last fall in both places and last winter. And um, unfortunately, to see the impact of tourism disappearing on these lodges is devastating because it is estimated that every employee of a safari camp supports 10 other family members. You know, all the camps in my book are still open and functioning, but many other wonderful camps um, have had to close or reduce staffing. And, um, you know, that means that not only are people suffering because they don't have, you know, any kind of employment, but in addition, girls are dropping out of school and poaching is increasing and wildlife habitat is being, um, you know, deforested at, at greater lengths. Um, unfortunately, people have called it sort of the, the COVID neglect moment when people, you know, because there aren't as many rangers out, there is all sorts of illegal poaching and um, extraction on lands that are happening. So it is particularly important for people to go back on safari and to support what the industry does for all of us in terms of protecting wildlife and wild places. So I want to go on safari, and I'm a longtime fan of Joy Adamson's writing and artwork. What lodge do you think would be the best for me? Well, I would start by saying that um, Joy did most of her work in East Africa, in in Kenya. So that's probably where you want to base yourself for the safari. 
And I think it's important to note that the lodges in my book are really just representations of what many of the best lodges around Africa have done in terms of community empowerment and conservation um, as really the, the forefront of their driving principles. And so I would probably say you should go to Kenya. I would suggest you spend a lot of your time in the Maasai Mara, which is where Joy spent a lot of her time. Again, with most safaris, I think it's important to have a variety of landscape and because animals behave differently in big open plains than they do in areas around water. Um, So I would suggest anyone going on safari mixes up um, within one destination the kinds of experiences they're having. So I would probably say go to the Maasai Mara. There's some wonderful great plains conservation camps there. Um, There's a camp called Angama Mara there that's fantastic. You're going to have great cat viewing in that part of the world, and you're going to see the Maasai Mara or the, the Grand Serengeti ecosystem, which is really what most people think of when they have that sort of iconic idea of out of Africa or even the Lion King, you know, that was the particular area that that was shot in. And then I would probably say go up north to a place like Lewa Downs, um, also in Kenya with amazing cat viewing and and experiences. And I, I think Joy would be very happy with that kind of an itinerary. The photographs in this book are extraordinary. Can you talk a little bit about the process and the photographer? Yes. um, No, I was very lucky to work with an incredibly talented photographer from Milan named Guido Taroni. And he is someone that I have known over the years traveling to Milan. We have quite a few mutual friends and, and we've been lucky to do some wonderful day trips around Lake Como together. And he did another book before this on Tangier, which is incredibly beautiful um, as a tr- sort of a travel lifestyle book. And so I wanted someone for this book who was going to have both an appreciation for nature and interiors. And most importantly, be somebody who was, you know, excited at the idea of spending days in Africa traveling, you know, huge distances to get to remote lodges um, and wake up super early and be willing to jump right in. And Guido took, I think it was three trips, almost a month long each to be able to cover all of the different lodges. It was a sort of like a logistical war plan that we came up with to try and knit everything together um, because there were a lot of border crossings and small flight, but he did an incredible job and I think really captures the beauty and the really unique sense of place of each one of these lodges. So you mentioned something called deep race memory in the book, a strange feeling of homecoming. I've never heard of that. What is this fascinating concept? So I agree with you. It's a fascinating concept. And I heard it after I had actually experienced it, which is why it resonated so much with me. Because not only when I am in particularly East Africa, do I feel this odd sense of familiarity and almost like a very deep deja vu, but a lot a lot of other people uh, over the years and coming back from their safaris will have told me that they had a similar experience, that they felt oddly at home in a place that they had never been before. And so when a South African friend of mine mentioned this a number of years ago, and the theory is that on a genetic level, we resonate with where we all came from and that on some they're very, very deep level. We can recognize that this is where 
man sprung from. I don't know, obviously, whether or not it's true, but it resonated with me in the sense that I had had that sense of deja vu. This book has definitely broadened my vision of safari. What do you think your grandmother would have thought about this book? I think my grandmother would have been thrilled with the book, not only because it captures so much of the beauty of Africa, but I think she would have been thrilled that the way that safari has evolved is really in a way that emphasizes what she loved most about it, which is the purity of the communities and the environment. And yes, there are beautiful places to stay now, but what mattered more to her was taking care of the animals and the environment. And I think she'd be thrilled to see that that has happened and that hopefully this will inspire a lot of other people to fall in love with Africa the way she inspired me to do that. Where can we find you on the web and social media. I am online. The best way to find me and what I'm up to and what the company's up to and lots more African news is at indagare.com, I-N-D-A-G-A-R-E.com, which means to discover or seek out in Latin. And we are on Instagram at Indagare Travel and my personal Instagram is Indagare CEO. And so all of my travels are there and we want to get as many people out to Africa in the right kind of way and staying in the right places where they will have a positive impact, not just for their own lives, but also on the lives of the people that they visit. To purchase Safari Style and support the podcast, head on over to decoratingbythebook.com. And thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on Decorating by the Book podcast. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to be with you. Follow Decorating by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book.